With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hi everyone, JD here. Now, what's the best thing to come out of Belgium? Christian Benteke, obviously. Michi Batshuayi? Hmm, we might need to reevaluate that. Anyway, the answer I was looking for is Belgian beer. And our friends at Beer52 are offering FYP listeners the chance to have a free case of eight Belgian beers, just having to cover the £5.95 for postage. We can't go anywhere in the world right now, so why not bring Belgium to you with this great offer? All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash FYP, cover the 5 95 for postage and Beer52 will deliver eight free beers straight to your door. And then, unlike a cellist, you'll be able to drink beer inside of the pitch during the next game. Sort of. Beer52 is a monthly beer club where they collect the best beer from around the world and deliver it to your door with monthly themes. This month is Belgium, where you can discover incredible beers like Steenberg 6.5% Blonde, Brewerge Lecker's Belgian IPA and Avans Double. I, I assume that those are beers and not Belgian players that Palace have been linked with recently. And like the option to watch Palace with crowd noise or Ray Lewington noise, the choice is yours. If you don't like the dark beer, choose the light option. It's that easy. Each case also comes with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment as well as a tasty snack to enjoy with your beer. And like Steve Koppel when he went to Man City in 1996, you can change your mind and cancel at any time. There's no minimum commitment, and you can just take the free case, try the beers, and see what you think. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash FYP to claim your free case of eight craft beers now. That's the word beer and 52.com forward slash FYP. Right, on the podcast. Hello and welcome to the five-year plan, Athleti Pod. <laughs> Don't get to say that very often, so that feels uh, good. It's obviously we're palaceless at the moment uh, for two weeks, so we thought we'd use that as a chance to uh, to welcome back our palace experts from the Athletic who are sponsoring uh, the pod this week. Dom, Matt, and Ed. Don't need last names. Everyone knows who you guys are by now, so uh, no need to do that. I feel a little bit like I'm sort of presenting a game show or something uh, let, let's just go with that and if you go to the athletic.co.uk forward slash fyp you can start a subscription for just one pound a month uh first contestant uh ed 28 from surrey okay fine. <laughs> um tell us a bit about yourself what, what, what are your interests 
And uh, <laughs> I mainly enjoy watching teams in red and blue lose sporting events on television. Um, I used to do it in the afternoon, and now I, used to, now I do it in the morning. So, Fantastic. Good. Well, you're going to be a perfect candidate for this podcast. Um, Matthew, t- 20 younger from... <laughs> I don't know. Where, where are you from? Croydon? I don't know where you're from. Uh, I'm... I was from Catrum. I'm now from uh, Redhill. Oh, the big, the big move. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> T- tell us an interesting fact about yourself. Uh, it, it, there, there's nothing interesting. There's nothing interesting. <laughs> well, say. you've lost this contest. You're not. You're not going home with the main prize. Sorry. He's taken the four, the four eleven bus from Catrum to Redhill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, it's good to have you on, Matt. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, Dom Firefield, hello to you. Um, what did you for have not for mentioning bre- the age. What do you have for breakfast? <laughs> uh, oh God, that was such a long time ago. <laughs> I genuinely can't remember. I don't think I had breakfast today. No, I had a hot okay. cross bun. A hot cross bun, good, excellent, Ooh. good. Um, God, I haven't had one of those in ages. That's a bloody good shout. It's not the healthiest of breakfast, though, is it, Don? Let's be honest. I don't know if they exist over here. They, they probably must do. Probably a, it must be a British thing. Probably. Really? Uh, well, yeah, you'd be surprised the amount of stuff you don't. Uh, you know, I sometimes just want a pork pie don't exist sometimes just want a scotch egg don't exist like you know we've got scotch eggs coming out of our ears over here when the pub's open (laughs) (laughs) i bet you are yeah do you think americans would would get a scotch egg i mean call it a scotch egg would they no they've taken a base if you take a base item wrap it in meat and deep fry it nothing sounds more american to me than that (laughs) Uh, you know notionally they should love it The, the parallel between much of American cuisine, if we can call it that, and like Scottish cuisine is actually like pretty strong. The deep fry all. Yeah, this, this is more interesting than Palace at the moment, to be honest. But unfortunately, we are contractually obliged to talk about uh, the team from South London. Um, before we do that, oh, can I get a drum roll, please, for a random patron? Beautiful. It's Mr. Russell Parker. Hey, Russ. Yeah. Uh, Russell only joined recently, literally last week, and um, did the patron quiz last night. So I think he joined to do the quiz. I mean, that is some commitment. Um, and came third or fourth, I think, alongside his son, Jack. So a uh, top man, Russell. Thank you for joining the patron. And you can get all the rewards like Russell does, including post-match podcasts, patron-only merchandise, and access to the WhatsApp club, which is popping off at the moment, um, at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Also, can I give a shout out to our Race Europe campaign? not really a campaign efforts i guess that we're doing at the moment a few of us from fyp are running and cycling uh virtually to cross europe we've just got to budapest which would be shame it's only virtual be lovely to be there in person um and we're raising money are you you, uh hungary for more and we'll have more banter like that on the podcast coming up so stay tuned um you can donate to us money goes to palace for life foundation uh, and it's much appreciated for the good work they do at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash fyp hyphen race hyphen europe uh we'd appreciate uh, any donations um right we've got a lot of questions from our listeners we put a couple of tweets out uh, saying you guys are coming on before we do that um i'm going to come to you ed really briefly uh did you catch the west brom game and uh, what were your thoughts on it and i'm gonna put you on the spot are palace safe i mean they're definitely safe like, i mean they're definitely safe I, I haven't been worried about relegation for most of this season actually to be honest um what, what's the gap uh, Last time I checked, we had a fourteen-point gap or something ludicrous on on the relegation zone. So no, eleven points. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. 
Um, West Brom game, yeah, it was fine. You know, like it's it's this weird position, and you know, it's a privileged position to be in, where the club have established themselves as a club that's going to finish between tenth and fifteenth every season. Um, I guess you know that's what begets the whole Roy conversation is like whether you say that's enough or whether you try and kick on. But I've not felt like Palace were at risk of going down all season long. Um, I, I was very worried going into the season because of what we saw at the end of that COVID hit year and everything fell apart after the break. But no, I, I don't think Palace are in the relegation mix. I think the team looked fine. Like there are, there are signs of progress that you want for next year. Obviously you just want, at the moment, I think Eze playing as much Premier League football as he can. Um, try him out in a few different positions, see what works. Uh, ben Teke is trying his hardest to play himself into another contract. I think um, that, that's certainly something I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, you want to see Nathan Ferguson come into the team by the end of the season. But otherwise, like there's not too much to watch in Palace games at the moment. You know, it's You've got a few players playing for contracts next year. You've got a few players who we want to see a little bit more from to see what their future is going to be. Um, but otherwise, like nothing nothing really stands out. I mean, what were you guys thinking about? To be honest, I was thinking about what I was going to have for dinner, I think, while I was watching it, because it, was, it wasn't the greatest game. Uh, like you said, it's sort of fine. I think that sort of sums up the season, really, at the moment. Matt, what are your thoughts on the season at the moment? Are you sort of in the it's fine camp or are you uh, angry like people on Twitter or are you a bit more chilled? Where do you sit? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think Ed, I, I agree with Ed. Like I haven't been concerned about relegation for some time. I think really Palace have been safe for you know, several weeks now, like maybe a month or so really. Um, and definitely safe now. Um, but yeah, the West Brom game was, was challenging in, in terms of, there was so little sort of going forward. Um, it was quite a classic Roy performance, um, just sitting in and, and defending and and looking for that goal to win the game and then focusing so heavily on defence, which is fine in terms of getting results. Um, but I think, you know, I think I wrote about this recently, but, you know, when... Uh, when things are going well, you don't really get to enjoy them and celebrate them with people. So you don't get that high at the moment of, of you know, off the back of a win that you would have otherwise done. So that therefore makes the, the games that you lose or the games where there's not much going on more difficult to deal with and more difficult. And that then, you know, changes the mood of people. And I think that's possibly, you know, part of the reason that people are so... Uh, you know the way they are on on social media um, and so sort of angry I suppose and so pissed off and so downbeat about things but you do have to kind of look at it from both an emotional perspective and from that kind of perspective well you know Palace are, are doing pretty well in the league really like I can't I'm not too sure where they are exactly in the league right now but you know they're, they're doing pretty well they could end up even in a top half finish. I mean, I think it's unlikely given the the run in, but you know, it, it's not impossible that, that they could finish top half and still get. And, and as we sort of talked about before, they could still even get the best um, points total that they've they've ever had. So in the Premier League, so I, I can understand both sides of it. I can understand the frustration at, at what they've been watching, but also I can also see the progress in terms of results. It's not even like 
they're consistently boring. Mm. And that's the thing that's like, it's almost like, you know, you turn up when you watch a game mm. and one of the, one of the, like, there's one game that's completely devoid of ambition mm. and is soul crushing to watch. And then the next one actually is quite a free flowing two nil win. And, and you're kind of thinking, Oh, I like how Eze played there. And I like, you know, this link up, maybe we give Benteke another year. It's, it's just a weird one. It's just a weird one. I think, uh, we all talk, we always talk about the financial realities now. That's one of the kind of, uh, I guess, developments of how fans think about football over the last 10, 15, 20 years is everyone's very aware of the financial context in which their club sits. And our club happens to sit quite nicely in a position where we benefit hugely from being in the Premier League. Um, and that's skewed our priorities to make it so that, like, first and foremost, the financial necessity is remaining in the Premier League. Um, but and, and everything still ties together with the same conversation that I have with seemingly everyone about Palace. You know, we did that great quiz last week, Jim. You were, you know, what, top five in the end? Uh, um, second. 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 Ah, second. Right. Okay. So, Champions yeah, League you know, We did the great quiz last week. And, you know, a lot of the questions are about Roy yeah. and about what happens next. And, like, a lot of that comes because our financial reality is what it is and everyone understands that. And the next hire kind of tells us a lot about what the club's trying to do next, you know, like whether we're trying to keep at that level, or, you know, if you are going to hire someone like Eddie Howe, where who's got a better chance of getting you up, he's also got a much higher chance of, of you sinking down as well. So everything seems to bleed into the same point at the moment with Palace. It's just about the appetite um, risk, how much appetite there is, is for risk. And I think amongst the fans, obviously yeah, you can't be certain and you know, you've got to appreciate there are echo chambers and everything but it seems to me that there's a greater greater appetite for risk amongst the fans than there is in the club but I suppose that's also kind of natural because it's not our money it's not our decision to make so it's always going to be a more difficult decision for the people who are actually you know, responsible for that but certainly that that appetite for risk is as you say like kind of the main thing at the moment and that's to do with the financial side of things yeah well said i mean we know that dom's got an appetite for hot cross buns but does he have an appetite for risk and indeed for the next two questions coming your way dom uh, from at i am the j law who says what's the feeling about roy's situation does the vibe around the club indicate indicate he'll stay or go and paulie mantel Hi, Paulie. Says, um, if Roy is to end, leave at the end of the season, who would you choose to replace him? So you've got, you got two in one there. I mean, um, well, I think when we're talking vibes, I think it's probably <laughs> um, more likely to be a change than not. But I don't think that's necessarily certain either. You, you have to take into account, as Ed and Matt have just said very well, that that there is an associated risk with any change of management at this time and in the market that, that the summer's going to be in, uh, with post-pandemic, with finances tighter than ever, uh, that that element of risk is, is even greater inevitably. I mean, you get relegated this season; it's a disaster. If you get relegated next season, it might be worse. So I, I, that has to come into their thinking. And the, the the sort of natural fallback for the last few years has been Roy Hodgson keeps you in the division. Um, we've discussed this many times, Jim, on the on the post match, etc. You know that that is the sort of the theory that everybody goes in, and you you can argue possibly that that 
um, maybe the run into the end of last season and, and, and some of the toils of this have 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 indicated perhaps that that isn't necessarily a watertight theory that even Roy Hodgson um, might struggle to keep a team in the division but but I think overall for for this team this particular team and this particular squad to be 12th in the division at this point of the season two points off what they the points tally they had this time last year I think is pretty remarkable to be honest mm-hmm. so I Yes, the football's been stodgy and it's been a grind, and but they won ten matches, um, which is generally the benchmark for for staying in the division. So I think it probably gives you more of a chance than not to have Roy Hudson as as your manager. So at some point, and I'm sure this is going through the minds of Steve Parrish and Josh Harris and David Blitzer, um, retention of Roy Hodgson has to come into their thinking. However. They will also be sharing the frustrations, particularly Steve Parrish, I imagine, at some of the the style of football and and wanting to see a bit more entertaining stuff out on the pitch. So, um, what what if you take that into account? I think that's where the the sort of the, the the sort of opportunity that Palace have got this summer with new players potentially, given the number of out of contract players at, at the club. Uh, the manager out of contract as well. It's a natural breaking point, a natural point to say thanks very much for for everything you've done for the last almost four years. Mm. And um, but you, you know you're 73 mm. now. It's probably time we move on and, and find someone that's going to be here for the, the next three to four years. Um, for the second question, who would I choose? I, I'm I am probably I think Matt of the three of us is a, a huge risk taker. Ed is the biggest <laughs> risk taker out of a lot of us, ju- judging by that I've ever met, probably. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and then, by my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm I'm more cautious, as naturally I'm more cautious. That's 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 my instinct. Um I'm still Have you have you always been this way? Or do you think it's part of like being a parent, being older and stuff? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that, wasn't a, that wasn't a jab. That was a nice that question. Like a that was a nice Ooh. question. <laughs> a little uppercut, I think. That was a nice question. I I don't know. I, I, I'm, I feel... I, I tell you what it is probably a legacy of in terms of football support. It's it's a legacy of living through two administrations of the club. and Two big yeah. scars, yeah. yeah they're, two they're, massive scars. Absolutely. And and you don't get over that, I don't think. The idea that you, you, you know, you... You go to bed at night and you're not sure whether your club's going to exist in the morning. You know, the, the club that you enjoy supporting and and around which your, your social life and your your mates or you, that's where you you gather. So the implications of relegation are catastrophic at this level, um, quite often. Um, so I would, I'm, but I'm not saying that I'm not saying don't change the manager. I, I, yeah, there has to be some level of long term planning, and this is an opportunity this summer. What I would argue against is a complete ch- revolution in terms of the playing mm-hmm. style. So you don't go from Sam Allardyce to Frank de Boer. In that same logic, you don't go from Roy Hodgson yeah. to Pep Guardiola or, or, or the like. You, you have to have something that that takes it on a bit, but that for the players that remain at the club, they're familiar with the style of football that you're going to be playing under the new manager. So in that context, I would probably favour a Sean Dyche type manager coming in if Roy does leave, because I don't think that it would be too much of a revolution in terms of training, in terms of the style of play out on the pitch. And I think the players would adapt and it would allow, I imagine Sean Dyche to also in time express 
how he wants his team to play. Because I am he he will look at the players that Palace have got and and the budget that Palace have got in terms of uh, wages, etc. And I'm sure he would be he would be confident that he could he could get a song out of out of those players and a, maybe a slightly more expansive style. For the same, you could say Eddie Howe as well, for that matter. Eddie Howe would work in in a similar way. Although I would say that that Eddie Howe did spend a lot of money at, at Bournemouth um, and, and didn't keep them in the division. Um, so he probably represents slightly more of a risk, but they, they all, they're all risky. They're all risky. But I suppose the context is that the new manager, if there is a new manager, then they will come in and, and obviously be in a totally different position to that that Hodgson was in when he came in. So yeah. the likes of Dyche would actually have an opportunity sooner rather than later to move to a slightly and I am saying slightly more expansive style like some kind of you know change to their their way of thinking I mean you know he's never going to be the most expansive manager anyway but you know as you were kind of alluding to he has got a chance to slightly adapt that whereas Roy kind of didn't really have that for at least what a couple of years I mean there were points obviously in you know when he had Loftus-Cheek and and Kabaya that 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 they did play that Palace did play quite some nice football. Um, so I just think that the context is, the situation is a lot different and it kind of lends itself to a progressive, gradual movement towards a more expansive style. So here's a question I have then. So if you, you know, like there's still a chance you mm-hmm. think that Roy could extend maybe for another year, but at some point Roy's going to go, right? Given the amount of contracts that are up this season, do you go for a summer where we have a big changeover in the playing staff and coaching staff, or would you prefer to stagger those? Would you want to line them up to give that new manager a bit more of a clean slate? Or do you think that too much turmoil puts you at more risk of the dreaded relegation? I mean, look, instinctively turmoil is never good. Mm. (laughs) Um, I mean, turmoil is probably a negative spin on it. It's, it's an overhaul, isn't it? It's a revitalization, but you, you, Turnover, you can't. Yeah, turnover. You can't, I don't think. I don't think it's feasible at any club to to maintain a level of continuity in terms of performance and 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 standard. In fairness, if half your squad leaves and your manager leaves in the same summer, I, I, I just don't see how that's possible. You're basically it's, you're creating a new team, squad, club overnight, and I, and in the market this summer, that that's almost impossible. I, I, with every club with its own black hole in, in finances caused by COVID, I, I don't see how that would be feasible at, at Palace. So I think you accept from the outset that of those 12, 13 players out of contract, you're probably ending up keeping, keeping six of them. So the overhaul is only seven players. Um, and if those seven players uh, fit the type of football that the new manager coming in wants to play and and he feels he can work with those players and it all sort of yeah it's done with almost his blessing in terms of who's pursued and who's who's signed then it can work yeah i mean mean, the reason i think you've got an interesting perspective dom is you've seen it at chelsea so many times right where they they kind of like a new manager comes in with a completely different approach (sighs) the thing for me is that if you're refreshing say like half the squad is that like, if you're refreshing half the squad, then moving from Hodgson to a different style of football might be less of an issue, essentially, because you're bringing in so many new players at the same time. 
I just for me, I don't know why I've got this like tectonic plates thing in my mind. It's just that like if you're moving too much at one time, I think the chance of everything falling through the gaps is way higher. Yeah, agree. Chelsea, I know Jim loves me talking about Chelsea on this podcast, but um, Chelsea do have a huge turnover of managers, obviously, but they don't have a very big turnover of players, other than the 40 players go out on loan every year, and they tend to be the same 40 players pretty much. Well, no, no, big, no big clubs really do. It's more actually of like a lower league thing to have a yeah. huge turnover of players. Yeah. Like It's a very small percentage of Premier League squads that usually get turned over, and, and if you take out teams that go up or down a division, it's an even smaller number, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Watford, Watford have made it their identity, haven't they? But the Pozo thing is that's how they operate. I mean, they, it's almost like they thrive off instability, whether that be in, in the mm-hmm. within the squad or within the dugout. It's that's that is how they work. It's designed to sort of keep everybody on edge and keep standards high. Um, lower league, absolutely right, Ed. I mean, you, you get like you often get like ten to fifteen players that are changing every year. But I'd argue that it's probably easy to do that where you're paying them peanuts. Uh, as opposed to the Premier League level where you're asking elite players to keep you in a division and, you know, keep you mid-table in division um, and you're having to pay them very, very good wages to do that. Um, Matt, I know you wrote a good article on uh, now that Palace is safe, Roy, or suggesting Roy should take the handbrake off, um, which is available to read now. Seamless plug for me there. Um, (laughs) I've got a question from Sam Elliott who has asked, or he said after... Because of 10 weeks of an unsuccessfully progressive manager, which I believe is Frank he's referring to, that now Palace can never try and be forward-facing again. Now we have the chance to step to change the squad. Are we really going to maintain our dreary style with the Hodgsons and Deitches? Well, he's already assumed Deitches coming in. Of the world in 21-22. Uh, what do you think, Matt? How, how confident are you that that could even happen? Yeah, I think I think there is... I think there is a narrative, you know, that, that kind of gets put out there that 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 does frustrate me actually. That you know, because of this happened under Frank De Boer, this you know, everything went wrong under Frank De Boer. You can never move on to a, you know, it's always like this millstone around the neck of of Palace that, you know, and and rightly so to a to an extent, of course, because it was such a dreadful period and so much went wrong and it took so long to recover from. I completely understand that. However, you can't just constantly. It, it, I mean, Roy. Uh, Roy said it. Himself. Roy. Roy used the phrase that that I hate. I really hate, and I did write a piece I know about what's this. Coming. Be careful what you wish for. And ironically, Simon Jordan's uh, uh, autobiography is called that, isn't it? Um, <laughs> is it? I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh dear. So you know, uh, it's, it's not on Roy, but I just. It's just a barrier to progress is, is, is what I called it as well. And, and that's the way I feel about, about the way that some people talk about the, the De Boer situation. And, you know, I, I, as I was saying earlier, I think there is room for a more progressive style. And I think that that can be achieved under both Roy, if he stays, and under Deitch. Um, you know, I, I do think that Roy is capable of, of playing a more progressive, more expansive style. Um, but I think his instinct is to go for that rigid structured formation style, whatever you want to call it with players knowing exactly what they're doing, being drilled into it. I mean, we saw it a bit under Pulis as well, where he kind of managed to get that and have that counter attacking. I mean, at the moment it doesn't feel like we're even a counter attacking team. 
Um, and that's probably what's frustra- what's most frustrating at the moment, even though it is getting results. And you know, you can point to say the Brighton game where you know Benteke scored that absolutely brilliant last minute winner. Um, but like that that game without fans just felt so weird. Like normally, you know, in your head you're like, wow, that, that's incredible. Like you'd celebrate wildly or whatever. Um, but it, it just felt so weird without fans for that to happen. Um, but, but going back to the point, yeah, I think, I think there's, there is a way that Palace can change their style without necessarily having to change the manager. But if they do change the manager and, and Deich, for example, does come in um, or how, or you know, someone who has that kind of style of football, then I do think that they can and should move gradually towards the sort of more counter-attacking style that we've seen like sort of in the first what 18 months two years of Roy's tenure um and I think they probably will do that I I think it's just that the focus is so much on this team growing older you know because because you kind of people talk about this team being like the best team Palace have ever had well I understand that but maybe if they're all in their prime they are but they're not like they're all coming towards the end of their their careers, and you know if, if they're in their prime, you look, you look at them, you're like, wow, these these are some really good players. But they're not; uh, they're all coming to to the end of their careers, and they don't really have the sort of, I suppose, the physical attributes. Not to take anything away from them, but just the very nature of their age as well makes it harder for them to do certain things physically, and and maybe to be that that counter attacking team. And that's why in part the the change and the turnover this summer and, and making sure they get it right is so important because but it will allow that progression. That's that is the key you stamp you've got the key there. That, that I mean even if even if all twelve of those players left, or twelve, thirteen players left and they and they, they were left with twelve or thirteen players, I don't think you'd necessarily be left with uh, twelve or thirteen players that are suddenly capable of playing a high press, all energy game of football, yeah. and, and which is what, for example, we, we consistently getting linked with Valerian Ismail at Barnsley, who has done a wonderful job. No one can deny that he's done an incredible job at Barnsley, even with the, the defeat to Sheffield Wednesday over the weekend. Yeah. He's, he's taken a team from the lower reach of the division into the playoff places, and they've got a very good chance of going up. But realistically speaking, even if we put in 13 players who can run and run and run and run this summer, I don't think we'd have the squad as a group to play that high level type of football, which is, you know, that that's one extreme. I used Pep Guardiola earlier, but it could easily actually weirdly be Valerian Ismail. Uh, it's, it's that it's that sort of high press, which I don't think we've got the bodies to. We, we might do in three or four years' time or two or three years' time if that constant evolution of the squad is maintained. But that's the sort of extremes. You, you just want almost like a um, either a transitional manager who will take you towards that or a manager who knows how to do both or is keen to go one way in time and can just... You know, I think Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe did that in fairness. Eddie Howe for a while, certainly outside the top flight, top division, he 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 played that high energy football. I'm not so much in the top division where they were battling for survival every year at Bournemouth, but he did show that they, his his teams could play nice, attractive, attack minded football in the Championship and League One. Um, so I mean, that would that strengthen his candidature potentially. The, the, the running thing. I find really, I was talking to someone a while back 
um, about club networks. Um, you know, like so CFG City Football Group. Obviously, they do it for for, for their reasons, mm. and there are lots of different groups that do it for their own reasons. I, th- I think Barnsley is part of a, of a small group, isn't it? Yeah. There are about yeah. three clubs. Um, and someone was saying to me that the one they're most impressed with is the Red Bull clubs because they go out and like, you know, it's not like Mm. CFG where they're trying to have this Guardiola style of play basically across all of their clubs. And even Lommel in the Belgian second division have spent 25 million euros on teenagers, essentially teenagers. um, And all these kids are really technically talented. And the whole idea is that they're going to be kind of ticky tacker sort of very technical players. But the Red Bull model is more that they've, they're trying to get all of their teams playing this like high pressing, high energy uh, like system. And what it means is when they're scouting for players, they're looking for players who have like, you know, obviously great stamina and stuff, but like who can carry out the most sprints per game and whatever football you play around that, like they have a stock defensive profile basically. And it's, we're going to be running as a team. The team is going to be roughly this shape and we're going to be pressing on the second pass every single time or on the first pass every single time. And I actually wonder if that's like the smarter thing going forward because it's really, you know, there actually is no correlation between signing really good technical players and success, quite frankly, you know, like you can have really good technical players and put them with a coach like Pep Guardiola, who knows how to get the most out of them. And you can hope that you get where you need to get. But I think that our, at the sort of level that Crystal Palace are, that you could move towards the more Red Bull style model. We're already doing bits and pieces of it where you're trying to pick up players from under kind of discovered leagues, I guess, like like Alexander Sorloth, who is now at, is he at Leipzig? Leipzig. Leipzig. He, is, yeah. he is literally a Red Bull player, right? Like mm. those, they're the sort of Red Bull signings. Um, and, you know, if we were looking at the Danish league, Norwegian league, Austrian mm. league, Czech league, for, for players who we think are undervalued, who we could develop and then sell on. And if we started to build a playing style around more like that physical attribute than, than looking specifically for, you know, like players who can spin on a dime and then play a through ball. I think that's a path that Palace could go down potentially. It interests me definitely. Um, I think we probably... You're turning us into Brentford. <laughs> I mean, Brentford overperformed their budget far yeah. more than Crystal Palace do. Um, Absolutely right. So, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just, and they are part of a club network as well. And I, I'm not saying that we should go out and buy other clubs. I don't necessarily think that there's the net gain in there for Palace, but we could think about and project forward what we want the club to look like in three or four years' time. And I think that's probably the most interesting thing um, that's sitting with the board right now because, you know, you could you can make it a very simple transition. You could just go, let's go and get Sean Dyche or Eddie Howe. They replace um, Roy as manager, and Dougie's still sporting director and everything else is the same. But you could also, you know, use this as like a, uh, an inflection point where you say like, this is what we want the club to be in the next five years and 10 years. And this is how we intend to get there and, and start setting out a runway for that. So I like, I hope that they use it this time for that. That's what interests me more is like seeing what strategy is obviously out there. It's not always obvious what the strategy is. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, the best clubs, I think the clubs with the clearest identity, you can see what they're doing. And um, it, the more we can see, uh, I think the, the more people will buy into it as well. So it's kind of a virtuous cycle, if you will. 
Lovely. If you guys could just pitch that to Steve, uh, then that would be great and we can move the club forward. Um, speaking of moving forward, we are going to move on to part two in a minute. Before I do that, I've got one question here from a listener and then I'm going to put the three of you on the spot and ask you who you think is going to be Palace manager at the end of 2021. I know a lot can change in that time. Anyway, the question's from Nathan Seller. And he says, with rumours of Benitez, haven't heard that name for a while, Ooh. on the hunt for a Premier League job, what are the chances of him coming Ooh. to Palace with the current contract situation regarding Roy and a number of first-team squad? Um, I'll go to Matt first, though, then. What, who do you think... I, well, I don't know what you think about Benitez. I personally don't think he's going to come to Palace. But who do you think is going to be Palace manager on December... 31st 2021 it's a good question uh it won't be benitez it's not going to be benitez watch him come now um um, i I don't think he'll be right i think as we said earlier i think there's you know it it is very much a changing situation um i think there is a a, a small possibility that that roy could stay um whether or not that would be the best thing we we sort of discussed earlier i mean i'd quite like eddie howe um, I, I'm not massively convinced that it will definitely be Eddie Howe. Um, if you forced me at, at gunpoint to say someone, I think I would probably say Daesh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that would be my uh, at gunpoint decision. Okay, I don't have a gun, just for anyone <laughs> listening. I know they can't see us right now. Um, never owned a gun. Um, Dom, if I could put you on the spot without a gun, just, just oh, friend, think, friend, think, to, friend to friend. Need a gun. Um, I, I, I think, blimey, um, I'll echo what, what Matt says on all of those candidates, but I'll, I'll, I'll go left field just, just for the sake of being provocative. Crystal Palace's manager at the end of December will be Jose Mourinho. Brilliant. Well, he did, want, uh, he well, did why not? He did once say that he would he manage Crystal Palace to stay in the Premier League. He, yeah. He has a history of, of very complimentary comments towards Crystal Palace. But um all right, Ed, we've got we've got the sublime to the ridiculous. Where do where do you sit? Part of me thinks it's just gonna be Roy at the end of twenty twenty one. Um you, you, as as Don correctly uh, saw straight through me, I do have a higher appetite for risk than most people. And I certainly would be going more left field. Um, like I've thought about it in my head. Like if, if you wanted to go down the Brighton model of getting someone who's going to play really good football and you're just going to give him players and he's just a coach, then I think Cooper at Swansea is interesting. Um, for the reasons Don has stated, I think, uh, you know, and being a club legend as well, Valerian Ishmael. Uh, like there's something there's something there that, that, that fascinates me um, you know like Daesh for me would represent a lot of you know I, I'm sure I could come around on it it would represent for me a lot of like the worst of what people say about Palace which is that you know it's we just want to stay in the Premier League and keep making money and everything else is secondary but uh, that's also the reality of like, if I was owning the club, I probably would hire Deitch to be honest. Um, because it's such a precarious situation for any club in, in the same sort of area as palace in the, in the division. You know, we've seen clubs Sheffield Wednesday, you know, last year they finished top half and they're gone, you know, that you could have painted the the rosiest outlook for Sheffield United, um, last August, September. And now it's just, you know, what, what does the future hold for Sheffield United? Like, I've got no idea. So when you see things like that, it really does make me lean towards Daesh. 
So yeah. I'm I'm probably going to say that I think you know they might sign a little extension with Roy um, until next year. So I'll go with Roy. But the, the more I think about it, the more I tie myself in knots. To be honest. <laughs> Can I do a serious one over the, rather than Josie? It's just occurred yeah. to me. Uh, Julien Stefan, who did brilliantly at Stade René for a long, long time in Ligue 1, punching above their weight, qualified for the Champions League this season. Hasn't gone well for them this season at all. Um, COVID-related as well, to be honest. But he's available. He's still out there. Um, I would imagine that they definitely would fancy talking to someone like that. So I'll go Julian Stefan's Palace's manager on December the 31st and then Jose Mourinho from the 2nd of January. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, I've never heard of that guy. We'll Google him later, but a uh, very interesting name to throw into the mix. Before we end, I made one note during that on my notepad. I know it's surprising that I have a notepad. And it was when Dom said the phrase, talking vibes, which I think is probably a better uh, name for this podcast actually him, him, I might call this episode Talking Vibes actually and we'll uh, see what happens with that anyway let's take a break and when we come back uh, contracts Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Athleti Pod, I should have said. Sorry, Athleti Pod. Um, part two is where we uh, put a clip from our post match podcast, which is available at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. Um, and it's relating to contracts. So Dom, Selzy, uh, Rob, and I mm. chatted through all 13 players that are out of contract in the summer and whether we would keep them or not. We spent nearly two hours talking about it. It's the nerdiest episode we've ever done, <laughs> ever, on this podcast. You did um, learn an awful lot about Stephen Henderson. I. I I learned so much about Stephen Henderson. Yes. (laughs) And he was born in Dublin and he's six foot two. Can you imagine? Um, Obviously, our listeners want to know what you guys think as well. Dom, we'll we'll, we'll save your opinions for the post-match so that um, people can listen to it on that. Uh, The question here is from Adam Sinski. Hope I got that right. He says, which contract should we extend and Mm. should we not? And does Dom have any insights on what will likely happen? Well, let's go to our clip from the post-match podcast and we'll see if Dom has any insights into what will happen. Uh, So you can listen to that now. Um, Patrick Van Arnholt, Adam, what are your thoughts? Do we we say goodbye or do we say, please stay? Uh, I'm slightly torn, but uh, I'm leaning towards goodbye. Um... I think offensively, Patrick Van Arnholt's as good as any left back around, quite honestly. He can get forward, he can finish, he's technical. But defensively, for me, he lacks discipline, appetite to defend out and out as required. And in all honesty, you know, part of me believes that Patrick Van Arnholt would be better suited to playing for a, a really top club that has a lot more possession because he would be able to bomb on and those characteristics would be important. You know, if you think about Liverpool, for example, and you take Trent Alexander-Arnold, I would say defensively, again, I would have question marks over him, but offensively, he's pretty incredible. And that's probably more important for those sides, you know, how good the the fullbacks are in terms of, you know, offensive play and and joining in and and getting forward and their requirement to defend is probably a little less, uh, rather like the goalkeepers, you know, that a lot of the big clubs favour 
favour even, a goalkeeper with real top distribution rather than uh, a shot stopper, if you like, because they think that's a, a more important characteristic. But I'm still of the view that we need a, a better defender in that role. And um, on that basis, I would probably try and replace Patrick van Arnholt during the summer. John, what are your thoughts? He's, I think the big problem with Patrick van Arnholt is perhaps wages. Do you think that that would play a part for Palace? Definitely. Definitely. I think his, I think he will look at it as uh, he's, uh, he's in the Dutch squad. He's got 12 caps to his name. He's in the squad for their games against Turkey, Latvia and Gibraltar this month. Um, he will aspire to make an impact at the European Championships. I mean, in, in any other scenario, really, um, not least because, as Adam says, if he goes on to to a top club who who monopolise the ball, or even even Leeds United links from from uh, of late, I think he would fit in perfectly there. I mean, I think he's an upgrade on Alioski at, at left back yeah. for them. Uh, he he will look brilliant. And and there will be a certain element of us looking at this. Oh God, we've let we've let a full international who's at the European Championships and is has, has run rings around people playing for Leeds or whoever go. And and this must be a source of regret. But the reality is, the way Palace play um, and the situation on contracts and and the financial situation at the club is. We, it, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to to let him go. Um, not least because I suspect, given the noises that have come out of his camp, that's his priority. He, he thinks he can go and play European football somewhere or go and earn a considerable wage somewhere else. And I don't think Palace, even after, was it eight years, going into a ninth year in the Premier League, I don't think we should be a club that... Whose, whose priority at the moment is to offer, I don't know, 80 grand, 90 grand a week contracts to left backs. I just, it just doesn't, doesn't sit easy to be honest, not least when you've got a very good young talent coming through at the club and you've got cover elsewhere at a time when you're rebuilding the squad left back is not the, is not a priority position to be honest, to put all your, you know, to that level of finance in. So, I'd have no doubt that he'll go on and do very, very well at his next club. And that will prompt some regret. But I do think it's probably time to say goodbye to, to Patrick and wish him well for, for the future. Your thoughts, JD? Uh, I feel exactly the same way uh, that Dom's just said there and Adam as well. Patrick doesn't want to be here. He wants to move. He thinks he can play for a bigger club. And as Dom says, he probably can. He, he probably could get into a a European squad somewhere and play quite well because he's got that ability. But we we can't be spending the sort of money we are on on, on someone that is defensively questionable and can and inconsistent. I mean, it, it doesn't really make business sense from that point of, point of view. We, we all know Tyreek is hopefully going to be the next, you know, number one left back at Palace. Uh, we if we if we sign Wardy to another deal and climb, we got cover there and Schluppy if he stays. I just think there's so many reasons not to keep Patrick van Arnholt. And you just think about how angry he makes us sometimes <laughs> with his performances. You know, and we won't have to go through that anymore. Like, yeah, it's it's been a fun ride. 
If he goes to another club in the Premier League, I will get him in my fantasy team, undoubtedly, because he will score lots of points for a defender. But um, the time is up for Patrick at Palace. Yeah, thank you. Scored some great goals for us. Been part of a, the best squad we ever had under Roy. Had some wonderful moments. Thank you for those. But uh, the time has come. So please leave. Did did we not learn JD from Fozzie's patron quiz that Patrick Van Arnold is in the top 10 Dutch goal scorers in the Premier League history or something like that? Yeah, is I that think right? he is. He, yeah. He's got 20 goals or something, hasn't he? As a Isn't he the leading, leading foreign fullback scorer or something like that? He, mm. I think he's pushed. We will, as I, I've got to stress, we will regret this. And imagine if, if Palace made a, a managerial change in the summer and brought in a a manager that wanted to monopolise the ball and, and, and wanted, believed that he could inspire a style that, that where we, we hogged the ball and allowed our fullbacks to push forward. There will be periods next season where we're, we're thinking, oh, this would have been perfect for for Patrick to be in this team. And, and Tyrick isn't as comfortable in that period, that, that, that phase of play or, or that, that part of the pitch. But sometimes you just have to make a judgment call on what you've got in front of you. We, we should caveat all of this. We probably should have done this at the start. But Palace should only be considering offering contracts to people they feel they can't replace. You know, if they... This, yeah, we're doing this exactly. the wrong way. We, we, we really should be pinpointing the players that Palace know they can bring in. And then, if, if, if for example, that includes a left-back, then who can be done cheaper and can offer similar to, to Patrick or, or better than Patrick, then obviously that makes him a, you let him go. Um, you have to, you have to have the recruitment plan and strategy in place to know who you're going to play in these positions and who you're going to pick in these positions before you allow your talent to leave. But in saying all that, if we offered Klein and Ward contracts, we would have enough cover on both sides at fullback. Not least because Nathan Ferguson spent a lot, a long period of his six months in professional football playing at left back for West Brom. He didn't. He's, I know he's a natural right back, but he played left back. So it does look as if we've got cover to to get by in those in those that area of the pitch, and it might be best given Patrick's desire to to progress his career that if he if he did move on, I think there's there's. That reminds me, well, by the way, sorry, of Alan Sugar doing one of his nice firings on The Apprentice when he actually doesn't really want to get rid of him, but knows he's got to. <laughs> Don was giving it, you know, with regret, you know, this. And it's true, though, there are the, there, there are the pluses and, and minuses with Patrick, aren't there? You know, but you, you know, the negative, as JD said, and you said earlier, drives us mad, is that he sometimes looks like he, he, he lacks the desire and the discipline and the fight which you know really you, you with the kind of money that he's commanding isn't right i think if if he were to renew his contract on his current terms there probably wouldn't be a question but it's the fact that he's expecting supposedly he's expecting more than than he's earning currently and that's understandable he's at that age where you know he should be in the prime of his career so you would imagine that he'll look for a club that will pay him as if he was in the prime of his career. The other good thing for Palace is I think there's a lot of hope about Tayo Adaramola um, as a left back. I think he's the under 18 that, that that just got a new contract. The under 18 squad is obviously a really, um, it's a good group of young players that they're very excited about. Adaramola received, uh, got a three-year contract, I think, this season. Um, and I think, if anything, the club will look at that as a potential for an understudy too. So 
it, it's important for Palace to be a club that doesn't just sign expensive players, but basically creates talent in order to then fund some of those other signings. You know, the reality is we can't keep being if if the if the manager if the way that the, the the club is set out currently is to focus on trying to generate income by selling players then the only way you can really do that is take players that haven't yet broken into premier league football and turn them into premier league footballers that we can then capitalize on um moving on so uh, i think well, we've can all, I just we've all say, said, I, think, I think one thing is important to remember in all this stuff as dom said earlier you know you're going to you're going to regret maybe when you see him playing at the Euros or something or a big club or whatever he's doing but ultimately it's what they do for you that matters yeah. and Patrick Bamford would be the case in point you know I thought Patrick Bamford was hopeless honestly I thought he was probably the worst player to play at Crystal Palace in this current Premier League spell he showed nothing he offered nothing but clearly I was wrong because this fellow has now come good and is delivering and scoring goals and being talked about in England terms, which I just didn't see it when he was doing it for us. But full credit to him for doing that and, and showing what he's about. And well done, Patrick Bamford. But ultimately, it's no good going back saying, oh, we shouldn't have we shouldn't have, uh, have let him go from his loan and sent him back and we should have pursued it because at that time and at that moment, he just didn't do well enough, did he? Yeah. It's very true. Um, so I guess we're all giving Patrick the heave ho. Uh, goodbye, Patrick. Thank you very much for everything. So that is uh, our post-match podcast special this week on contracts. It's available at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast. You can sign up for just £3 a month to get regular extra podcasts. Um, let's go to Matt and Ed then. There are 13 players uh, with contracts up. One word answers, please. Would you give the following players a new contract? Matt, I'll go to you first. Wayne Hennessy. No. If oh, I said Ed. yes to that, what would, what would be the response if I said yes to that? <laughs> you, you can say whatever you want, but it's a uh, yeah, but don't yeah. say but don't say yes. Um, Ed. Uh, yeah, I I would not, but I would add that Whiter has actually only been about league average this year compared to last year when he was superhuman. I wrote about that uh, recently. I'm looking at the numbers. Oh, there you go. I'm looking at the numbers. Blank. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Do you have any numbers for us? Yeah, he's got uh, sli- he's got slightly above average, um, basically big chance stopping, but his his normal sort of save percentage is really just about league average. Okay, we will we will put that to Selzy. Um, he's literally calling me right now as well. His ears were burning. Um, that is incredible timing. Li- literally. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll put those stats to him on a post-match pod and we'll get his, his thoughts on that. That is absolutely sublime. Um, okay, Ed, we'll come to you for Stephen Henderson. Yes or no? No. Matt? No. Matt, we'll come to you for Nathaniel Klein. Yes or no? <sighs> Tough one. No. I wouldn't. No. Only, only because... Uh, one word. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll allow you another ten. <laughs> Well, uh, the answer will become clear soon, so we'll carry on. <laughs> oh, teaser. Okay. I would, yes, because, quite frankly, we've managed to pick up a player who can start for you in the Premier League and put in a decent performance for free, and we shouldn't get rid of him if you can do that. Fair enough. Uh, Ed, uh, Joel Ward? No. The end of Wardy. Matt? 
yes and that therefore goes on to my earlier answer like um, if you have to choose between one then it's Ward for me but if you can keep both then you know obviously depends on you know money and everything but I, I would I would probably keep both if I if you know being really sort of extravagant but um if it's between the two of them I'll keep Ward I do love Joel Ward uh PVA Ed yeah I would I definitely extend him I think he's great you know I really would I'd have him, him and Mitchell as our left backs I thought you were gonna say no I'm, not, I'm a huge uh... PVA guy I'm a, I, not just a glue That's fan, not just a glue <laughs> fan. <laughs> Gives me lots of sticky situations. But uh, no, I, 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 I think compared to the average Palace fan, I'm way higher on Van Arnholt than most. Okay, fair enough. Um, Matt? I would, yeah, I would give him a new deal. Wow. Too, I honestly thought you'd both say no, yeah. but no, fair enough. He's, I've he's really a... warmed to him. I don't know why. I just really have warmed to him. I think he's I, one of the best attacking left backs in the league. <laughs> well, I think statistically he is. But And I um... think him and Mitchell, like I think if you know, I think it helps Mitchell and it help and Mitchell being there helps him as well. I think he's been helped by the competition. Because really he hasn't really had much competition for several years has he but he also just does well to he he melds well with all of the, our good players so like when we had loftus cheek and zaha down that left hand side they all worked really well together he's got a great relationship with will there's like a sign of like him and eze like clicking well together that tells me something i don't know what exactly it is but like if he's helping us get the best out of our good players then i think it's like it's a strong person to have in the squad I don't know why I thought this would work as a yes or no. But <laughs> you, you know what? We're, we're, sort of, we're halfway through now, so we're just going to have to sort of crack on with it. Um, Matt, Mamadou Sacco? No. No, too expensive. Ed. Too expensive now. For what Time to move yeah. on, I think, isn't it, for Mama? Uh, uh, Ed, Scott Dan? Scott Dan dribbled past 50% of the time this year, which is the highest of any <laughs> centre-back in the Premier League. So a no. Yeah, you can't do it at a Premier League level one-on-one anymore. Fantastic. Good. Concise answer. Great great stat as well. Um, Matt, yes or no for, for, for Scott Dan? Uh, again, this comes back to the, the Ward and Klein dilemma. If you're only going to keep one, then um, it would be a, a no. Which leads me on to the next player, which is Gary Cahill. So I guess you're offering Cahill a one-year deal. Correct. Correct. Yeah, same. Ed? Absolutely. One-year extension. Gary Cahill turns 36 mm. in December. 36. Player coaching player coaching deal. Uh, you know, I'm sure Chelsea will offer him a place at the academy coaching or something, but we could get him a player coach deal. Also, you can still be in your prime at 36, Dom. Okay, I am living proof of it. Um, <laughs> Jay, Ed, uh, James McCarthy. I would let him go. I think he's done his job. He came in as an experienced head and, like, he's played some good games, but... Uh, in the central midfield shake-up, I think he has to go. He certainly seems like he wants to go. Um, Matt, Macca number two? Difficult one. Um, I don't really know. Um, again, gunpoint, I would say. <laughs> uh, and, and just to be clear, you're not pointing a gun at my head. Um, <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. Um, I'd probably say no. Okay. Um, Matt, Townsend? No. Time to move Andros on. Being a good servant for us, scored some good goals. I'd, Ed, I'd give him a year. Give him one year. Mm. Uh, I think I know what the answer to this one will be from both of you. Ed, uh, Batshuayi? No. <laughs> I 
it's probably how I would have done it as well. Matt? Definitely not. Yeah, hasn't worked out, has it? Uh, Wickham, Matt, Connor? Oh, absolutely, yeah, definitely, totally. 100%. Really? No, of course not. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe if it was on, on half his current deal, but he's he's very well paid at the moment. Not even that. There's, there's no point. There's absolutely no point. Like, how many... He's played, like, what, a dozen 16 games? Sixteen games. In, yeah. 16 yeah. games since he did, isn't he? Yeah. It's just never going to be back to a level that's... He needs to go, you know, go find a championship club that are going to play him. And he needs to play a season, like a full season of games for the first time in almost a, nearly a decade at this point. Yeah, it's a sad story, really, Wickham, but uh, I think it's mm. one that ends this summer with Palace. And then finally, Ed, uh, Benteke. I'd consider giving him a year, depending on like how we do with targets, quite frankly. Um, Mateta is here for another mm. season. That's right. Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. Ayu has another year left in his contract, but he's the most defensive-minded striker in the Premier League. I think his XG per night is at rock bottom of any striker in the league. Um, with over 10 games um, but he is better defensively than most strikers in the league so I think that he's helpful I wouldn't I wouldn't extend Ayu but that means we need to find at least one or two strikers maybe one developmental prospect and one person who, who could play now uh, yeah the defensive thing for Benteke we know is big for Roy Matt isn't it he likes that where, where would you stand on offering Benteke a new deal as long as he took a pay cut, like as Ed sort of suggested with Wickham, right? If you halve his salary, then yeah, I think I think you you would do it, but not on not on the sort of money that he's on at the moment. And there you go. That's it. So who have you saved there? About half of them, I think, roughly. I don't, Which is about what we were track, talking about I'm... earlier, isn't it? If you keep half and yeah. let half go. Can I? I don't know. I, think... I don't know if I'm going to get an obvious opportunity to give you a couple more of these stats that Tom sent me earlier. So I'm just going to chuck them in. Go for yeah. it. Jeff Schlupp attempts more take-ons per 90 than Wilfred Zaha. Oh, okay. Which Palace player do you think makes the most line-breaking passes per 90? I Line... Oh, as in passing through the lines. Yeah. Uh, well, when playing, Mamadou Sacco, possibly, but it doesn't really no, play, the, so... The leader by a distance... Is it Rikafa? No, it's Milivojevic by a distance. Then, P- yeah. then PVA, then MacArthur. I, I imagine Milivojevic just has the ball a lot more, though. Um, that might be the case, but he does more with it. Uh, and then the other interesting one I've got is just on Riedeval, that he is the best pl- best Palace player at completing passes mm. when pressured by an opponent by, by again, a significant margin. Twitter will love that. So thank you for dropping that in. <laughs> Which Palace player was it, Matt, that was, was talking about Gyro in training and saying you just simply cannot get the ball off him. That seems like a helpful thing to have in the team. Yeah. It was the lad that went to Dunfermline. Scott Banks. Oh, Scott Banks, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. Well done. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about Gyro in future pods. Uh, but anyway, that is uh, the contract chat wrapped up. We'll see what Palace do in the summer. Uh, okay, right, that's the end of the contract chat. I'll take a quick break and we'll come back with questions from our listeners. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Athleti Pod Podcast. Yay, yay. 
Um, we're, we're losing, much like Palace this summer, we're losing a squad member. Uh, Ed has to leave. Uh, Ed, thanks for joining us. On the on the backup the backup centre back or like the third choice keeper who's uh, slinking off. But, you are you know, the, St- uh, the Stephen Henderson of the podcast. Yeah, just wanted to say anyone who's listening who joined the uh, our first like Crystal Palace quiz last week. I just wanted to thank everyone for joining. I thought it was great, and hopefully we can do like a big one in person at like the Fairfield Halls or something. I don't know where like. We just get everyone in, like roll in the FYP boys. Let's see what happens. But uh, really good event. Thanks for having me on, Jim. And uh, I'll talk to you later. Top man. Thanks for joining. We will see you very soon. Uh, Right. And then there were three. Um, Let's move on to some questions from our listeners. We have answered a few in part one and part two. But here's one from Alex Burt. Hello, Alex. Hello, Alex. Uh, This is a question from Matt. He says, what youth players, and he's put could in inverted commas, not sure what that means. Uh, make an appearance before the end of the season. And I believe you've got an article that I think is probably out now by the time the pod is out um, on this subject. Yeah, it's, it's not quite on this subject precisely, but um, it is around sort of giving opportunities to young players and, and whether or not that, that might happen. And But um, in answer, direct answers to question, none. There, there, there just isn't anyone um, that I think will get an opportunity. Um, you know, as with every year, really, like you've got to remember about how much each place is worth in the league. Um, I think it's like two and a half million this year. Um, which in a COVID you know, year is is even more important than ever, I yeah. suppose. Um, you know, Roy Hodgson will you know be acutely aware of the possibility that he may not be manager next season, and will want to go out and on a massive high as high as he can. Um, the other thing that that you need to remember is that the sort of I suppose the closest to the first team are actually out on loan yeah. um, elsewhere <laughs> already. So. You know, they're just there's just no one there that that is in a position where they might be knocking on that door and saying, you know, I, I think I should get a game. Um, those, you know, more advanced, more experienced players who've been in around the 23s for a longer time are out on loan. Um, the the piece that you referred to is is uh, is about Jezza and it's not just about him, but it's it's linked to Jezza and Raksaki, who is a an under 18 forward. Uh, attacker midfielder he's kind of a winger sort of attacker Um, he uh, he's been linked with a move away from Palace Um, he's been in really good form this season I think he scored eight goals in something like 16 games something like that I'm not too sure uh, the exact number off the top of my head it's in the piece but um, he's a second year scholar so um, he's 18. Uh, he's been linked with a move to Borussia Mönchengladbach or Schalke and, and a whole host of English teams. Um, but the, the 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 sort of the fear on on at least on Twitter was that you know are Palace doing enough to keep their best young players? You know, are they not getting an opportunity? Which which kind of ties into that question of do they are they getting an opportunity to actually play? And you know, I understand the concern, I understand the fear, but you know there's never really been a better time to be in Palace's academy. Like in, in, a, in a lot of ways, I suppose you could say that administration period, that period of financial turmoil sort of, I suppose 2007 to 2010, where, where sort of God knows how many players yeah. made their debuts. Kadugan, Dejali, Ben Kajoji, Ibra Sakaya, uh, obviously Victor Moses, John Bostock, Lee Hills, Royce Wiggins, 
I, I can't name them all. There's way more, Wilf. I'm sure. Um, well, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so, but I think, you know, that period obviously was a golden period because there was no choice, but you had to play them. You just had to give them a chance. And, yeah, there is an element of that. But, like, academy football has moved on so much in that time, especially at a club like Palace where they've got a now got a state-of-the-art training facility for the academy. Um, you know, th- there isn't anyone who's kind of knocking on that door saying, oh, I need to play first-team football. Like, you can't... It's very, very, very rare, it's certainly at Premier League clubs, to go from playing under-18 football straight into a first-team environment. Usually they end up playing lots of under-23 games or they go out on loan. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll train with the first team. Like that, that always happens, especially sort of when players are off on international break, and you know the best young players move up. But there isn't really anyone at the moment who really is standing out and, and doing really well to to do that. I mean, the lads out on loan, are, you know, they look like really good loans on paper, and and you know to get them was great. Um, but they're just not really getting the opportunities on loan, which I suppose kind of tells you a bit about where they're at in terms of their development. And don't get me wrong, it's not saying that these players are rubbish, they won't ever play anywhere or whatever. Like People need to remember that so few players make it as professionals in the Premier League. And there's a mass, there is a reason for that. Like You can't have loads and loads and loads of players making it. Um, just having a career in football at League One, League Two, even the Championship, you know, that is a really great opportunity. That that's a great achievement. Sorry. So, I think you know, to to come back to the question, there isn't. There just isn't anyone at the moment. And even if there was, I think Roy would be cautious to do that. Um, and we've seen that before, like with players. I mean, I suppose one you might look at would be Luke Dreyer potentially, but you know he's been out for the best part of two years with injury and has not really played much in the 23s. So I wouldn't have thought that, uh, uh, that he would, would really have a look in. He's also out of contract in the summer. So, you know, whether or not that factors into their thinking as well. Yeah. Dre is a shame. I know there was a lot of high hopes around him back in the day, but uh, quite often these things don't work out. It's a shame, but I, I know that there was a lot of high hopes over the under 18. Yeah. So hopefully maybe in a couple of seasons, we'll get asked this question again in two or three years. Yeah. And maybe hopefully there'll be a more positive yeah. answer, but uh, there you go. Do check out that article from Matt. It is available now uh, at the athletic. Um, let's move on to a question about one of those players we mentioned there. Wilfred Zaha had a question here from Jack Pierce. Hey, Hello, Jack. Jack. Uh, it says long time FYP contributor so. and, and recent uh, pod <laughs> panelist as well, and absolutely excellent on the main pod. Um, it says, do the panel expect Palace and Wolf's reps to begin discussions about a new contract mm. soon? Is there any appetite from Wolf and Co to discuss another deal? Uh, Dom, we haven't actually. This hasn't really come up recently uh, for a while, but I guess it's going to be a discussion that's going to have to happen at some point. I I, I suspect there won't be anything at the moment. I'd be very surprised either from the club or from the Zaha camp if anything would change in the build-up to a summer transfer window. That that would seem to be slightly self-defeating in terms of Zaha's ambition to to play in Europe, etc., etc. Palace's priorities are are elsewhere. I, I, I suspect they would not want to lose Zaha this summer just because it would be another massive hole for them to have to, to, to fill. 
for all that the money that they received might be beneficial for the overall um, rebuilding process. I, I just think it would just leave a huge hole that, I mean, it's, it's inconceivable to try and replace him like for like, um, if I'm honest. And so you'd be buying two or three players just to replace that that player um, and probably then have to change the style anyway as well. So wait, I, I don't see Palace's incentive to sell. Um, now, the contractual situation, he's got two years left. Is that right? 2023. Yeah. I, I imagine what happens is... Mm we get another transfer window where Wolf makes it clear that he'd like to move on, um, that there will be those interviews that come out inevitably. And, 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 under, you know, fine, understandably he obviously wants, he's got ambitions. He wants to, to achieve things um, at, at elite clubs and at a at European level. Palace would field any interest out there. I'm not sure there will be any, there might be, you never know. Um, he would cost less now than he did last summer, um, but not a huge amount um, less, I wouldn't have thought, because he's still integral to everything Palace do. Uh, and then on the assumption that he doesn't move, I'd suggest that in September, that might be the time where Palace go to his representatives, go to Wilf and say, look, there hasn't been any interest nothing acceptable has come forward. Do you want to explore the possibility of a contract extension whereby you, you end your career at this club potentially, or maybe one that has a buyout option in it that, that he would find acceptable and the palace would for a player that would be turning 30 pretty soon after that, really. So, so that's a long winded answer. I, I imagine that nothing, nothing changes for the foreseeable until maybe September. And then it's one to watch. Uh, yeah, and then it would be it would be a, a contract to stay at Palace for life, really, because by that point, yeah, your sell on values going down, and your interest is probably going down, and you, you're looking at a testimonial and a Ooh. golden handshake and all that, um, which I wouldn't be against. Um, here's a question from Robin Mickelberg. Hey, Robin. Great name. He says, uh, "What's the deal with the Mateta loan deal? Social media mm. is full of he's not playing because he has to get to X games. And we have to pay X or buy him, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. He's not playing because Benteke is so much better defensively. He's raw, and you know why would what? Where's the incentive for Roy to play Mateta right now? Like, I'm not saying that Mateta's not good enough or anything like that, but Benteke is clearly. For what Roy wants at this moment in time, Ben, uh, uh, ben God, get it. He's, uh, <laughs> ben Teke is clearly like the more suitable option at this point. Um, that's not to say that Mateta can't have a, a, a role or perhaps necessarily should be playing more. I think you know, there is an element of, well, why, why doesn't he play a little bit more? Why doesn't he get some more time off the bench? I mean, we saw that that he can finish that goal against Brighton was just incredible. Mm. Um, you know, it was just ridiculous and sublime. You know, any, any superlative you want to use. Um, but he doesn't hold the ball up particularly well so far on. And, and, you know, obviously we can, we've only seen him a little bit, so we can't really judge, but you know, there are areas of his game that will need to improve if he is to play more frequently. I, I suspect Palace knew that when they signed him, uh, I'm sure Palace did know that and, and did appreciate that. I wouldn't necessarily have expected him to come in and play every week and start every game. And I'm, I imagine they told that to him as well. 
I, I, I'd echo that. I, I was speaking to a, a French journalist colleague of mine um, last week who knows Mateta's agent quite well, and he was asking him about why he hasn't been playing very often at Palace, and, and the response was, I think we knew this was likely to be the case. He was going to play a, a relatively small role for the remainder of this season while he sort of beds into a new scenario, new situation, new surroundings. And then hopefully he'll be able to offer a taste of what he can provide. And then next season, it will be lift off for, for Jean-Philippe Mateta. Uh, although this is ostensibly an 18 month loan, it's locked in to another, yeah. another two years on that Matt, or three years, possibly. I think it's a four and a half year deal. Yeah. Palace have wow. If they want him. And it's, it's a sensational deal if the if the if this is a player that's capable of scoring you 12 to 15 league goals in the season it is an unbelievably good deal that palace have struck um and i i we we just it's just a matter of patience with him i mean it would be great to see him a bit more of him towards the end of the season but we've discussed this on the post-match pod there isn't much of an incentive for roy to pick somebody who isn't going to do the same effective job as ben as benteke um if if Roy doesn't believe he's going to be here next season, he doesn't. He's not planning for the club's future. He's he wants to go out and make sure that he's he's put Palace in the the highest possible position they could possibly be in under his under his management. And if he feels that Benteke is a better route for him to do that, a better means for him to do that, then he'll then he'll prefer that to to blooding a rookie. That's fair enough. Yeah. So I hope, you know, get to the end of this season, and then next season, hopefully, it will be things can only get. Mateta. Um, let's move on to another. Okay, okay, you love it. You been a love long it. Lockdown, it? <laughs> it's been a very long lockdown. Um, another question here. I feel like we get this every time you guys come on. Mm. And if there is absolutely nothing to say, then please do tell me to move on. But Summer Hayes MTB44 has said yes. any news. Hi Summer. Hi Summer. Sorry. Um, any news on the stadium redevelopment? I think last time you came on, Matt, you'd yeah. been to all the the boring planning meetings and gave us an update. But I, no, I actually sound found like... quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that says more about you than it does about the rest of us. Um, it's, it's better than I tell you what. It's better than looking through uh, leases of, of flats and uh, trying to work out. That's a reference to the Arsenal planning story that I did, but that's irrelevant. But yeah, um, it's better than that. But to answer the question. Um, there, there is no update as far as I, I'm aware or I'm concerned. There is talk, uh, you know, with can Palace get the council to agree to a compulsory purchase order? Um, from my understanding, and, and this is only, like, I'm not 100% on this, but I believe that the council would have to do that, would have to buy it, and then Palace buy it from the council, I think. But certainly the council would have to commit funds if that was to happen. And current council is to, you know, to all intents and purposes bankrupt right now. Um, so that's just not going to happen. Um, certainly not in the, the immediate future. Um, I think realistically, it, it's probably about funding um, for the stadium. If you think about the investment and the cost of the investment into the stadium, and how long it would take to recoup again? I wrote, I think I wrote something about this recently. It might have been in a in my mailbag actually. Um, you think about how much it's going to cost to uh, to to build this or not build a new stadium, but redevelop the stadium. I mean, I suspect if they really, 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 really wanted to do stuff right now, then they would have done that because the planning permission is there to do some work, only limited. But for example, the corners, but. You know, where's the f- financial gain for them in that? Especially with you know, 
uh, American owners who may or may not be here in five years' time. Like, why would they necessarily do that when they're not not necessarily going to get that money back? Um, whereas the focus seems to be more on the academy, which is far more likely to provide, obviously, no guarantee. Like, this is the trade-off, is that the stadium, more or less, it's not, I suppose, as long as you stay in the Premier League, guarantees you income through corporate, through more tickets, through presumably higher ticket prices in those areas. You know, uh, it just it, it, it changes the dynamic, whereas the academy doesn't guarantee you that you don't you can't guarantee a player coming through but it is more likely with better facilities more money invested etc etc and the outlay initially is lower like it costs them 20 million or so to to build you know redevelop the academy so i think their focus was more on that because they realized perhaps that that in the shorter term that was more likely to get you a greater return, having also obviously seen Aaron Wan-Bissaka go for 45, 50 million to Man United. Yeah. Um, so basically no update. No. In a long, <laughs> very long-winded way. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's, I think you are the man for these updates to go to. So if you're mm. telling us there's no update, then I think it's it's nothing to get excited about yet. But hopefully at some point mm. that does that does change. But yeah. uh, it's certainly been a long wait. I don't see old... why they would have agreed to to you know why they would agree to the section 106 with Croydon Council if they weren't going to do it sometime in the next couple of years fingers crossed um that's pretty much it for our questions guys we've pretty much we've covered quite a lot of bases there thank you very much for joining us and for giving us updates and uh, it's just lovely checking with you guys to be honest it's always always feels too long um i'm gonna end with well first of all i, I I haven't actually mentioned the uh, the athletic URL, FYP URL yet, but I will do that at the end of the podcast. That is awful from me. Um, I'll do that at the end of the podcast. People will know what it is these days anyway. But, um, but I'm going to end, uh, Dom, by asking you guys to recommend an article on the athletic. So anyone that's listening currently that is a subscriber or has been tempted by this pod to sign up, sign up and become a subscriber, what article would you recommend they go to first? Wow, um, can I, are we allowed to be selfish and, and promote and self promote here? Um, <laughs> Do whatever you want. Quite whatever frankly, you want. I'm not bringing in any subscribers at the moment, so I need all the help I can get. <laughs> um, I I would say um, the two ends of the of, of the spectrum to a certain degree, and all, all a, a bit retrospective, possibly. Um, I would say the, the two pieces I've found most fulfilling, Palace related, mm. that I've written on on the athletic have been um the story behind um paul nixon um post um uh, sorry the fa cut semi-final in 1995 which uh yeah which is self-explanatory really yeah um and more recently um i did an interview with uh the journeyman rather plodding uh midfielder uh, craig foster who I, I i'm sure i wasn't alone in feeling um amongst palace supporters mm. that possibly could have done more to influence football matches whilst he was at palace for all that he was a classy player i just wanted him to take control of games and really you know impose himself on a on a situation well since hanging up his boots and and indeed quitting broadcasting in australia where he, he was a broadcaster for 17 18 years after he left uh he stopped playing uh, for australia uh he has he's 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 just done some remarkable things uh, as a human rights campaigner uh, advocate um he has 
basically single-handedly I'll, I'll say single-handedly he would he would reject that yeah. saved a um a Bahraini footballer who was locked up in a Thai prison um awaiting um deportation back to Bahrain where he faced torture and death almost inevitably an Australian resident and uh, Foster led the campaign to free him and more recently and, and just as remarkably and this is something I was blissfully unaware of. Uh, Australia's uh, offshore um, refugee camps, that's the only thing we can put in, detention centres, mm. um, dotted around Papua New Guinea and Nauru and places like this, uh, where they, the, the thousands of of legitimate refugees, people who have been, who've travelled out of war zones or have fled countries, have been effectively imprisoned by the Australian government for something like seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and without any explanation, they're innocent people. And mm-hmm. this has sort of been allowed to sit in the back burner and people hoping that people would forget about it. Well, Craig Foster has made sure that people haven't forgotten about it. And his, his game over campaign in Australia is really well worth having a, a, a look at. Hashtag game over. So that, that was one of the more fulfilling pieces that I've done of late. Wow, I really should have gone to Matt first, shouldn't I? Sorry. <laughs> How do you follow that? <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the Foster article is unbelievable. I, I was crying. I just stopped reading halfway through because I was crying because it was just so... Most people stopped reading halfway through. That's <laughs> the problem. <laughs> Trying for other reasons. Um, no, it was... Uh, oh, it's a fantastic, fantastic article. And, and what a guy. What a guy. So I would... Definitely recommend that. Um, Matt, apologies. I, 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 <laughs> feel free to pick other articles um, yeah. if you've got one um, to promote as well. To, to, to be self-indulgent, um, my interview of Wilfred Zaha about how he approaches this game that I think we spoke about last yep. time we were on this pod. Yep. Um, you know, he talks about sort of learning to play, to dribble with a tennis ball with his sister, um, you know, learning from Glenn Murray, um, which was quite interesting, I thought, um, you know, in, in the play in that season where he scored his 30 goals, um, which I was quite surprised at that he kind of modeled his game on, on Glenn Murray, of course. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't need to go into it to too much detail about that, that, um, but certainly, you know, he had a really interesting and in, insightful view on 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 that and terrorizing Daryl Yan Matt in that Watford game uh, <laughs> twisting him inside and out eight times and not and not actually getting an assist um he was very unhappy about that you could tell um uh and also um another big piece that I wrote um about uh, Palace's survival Sunday um one of the more sort of rewarding pieces possibly you know, the, the most rewarding, I think, possibly that I've done. Um, uh, you know, I think just able to capture the mood and the feeling, the, the nervousness, the tension, and then the overwhelming joy at the end, um, as well as the number of swear words that must have been shouted <laughs> at St. John. Um, oh, yeah. In, uh, yeah, I certainly <laughs> threw, threw a few away. Uh, who incidentally spoke about that to uh, our um, our Aston Villa um, reporter Greg Evans um, in a, an interview because he's now manager of oh god I can't remember what uh, country is he's manager of a national team yeah. um, but uh, you know I, I really enjoyed that piece it was quite a nice one to pull together um, 
And then finally, like one more piece that, that was written, I think yesterday, actually, it went out yesterday. Um, this may not make Palace fans feel too much better if you're particularly pessimistic. It's about Newcastle um, by Chris Woff and George Calkin. And it's like, this is what the end looks like. And it, it just gives a really good perspective of, of Newcastle's problems and you know where they are. And, and you can kind of just look at it and you think, you know, <laughs> you're kind of lucky to be like not to, to be a be careful what you wish for thing, but it kind of puts palace into that perspective of, you know, it is a well-run club, you know, and not to say Newcastle is a dreadfully run club or anything, but, you know, I'm sure people can make their own minds up about that. But uh, no, it was a really well-written piece and uh, it really sort of touched on the emotion, I think as well. And I think that's what is quite important, especially in these, these times where we don't really get to experience that emotion. I just felt it was, uh, it, it was probably a very cathartic piece mm. for them to write. And I felt that I could feel that when I read it. Um, and that was, uh, that was titled uh, Newcastle United. This is what the end looks like. And that was, that went out yesterday. Oh, well, two days ago, whenever that was, I don't, I don't even know what day we're on. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> lo- that's lockdown for you. Um, well, that, that, that's what you get with the athletic. Obviously you get a real range of palace articles we discuss yeah. there, but also you do get access to articles on pretty much every club out there as yeah. well. So, uh, well worth the sign up. And if you go to the athletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, yeah. you can start a subscription for just one pound a month, which is an excellent deal when you consider what you get in return for that. Um, so thanks lads. Thanks for it's our third or fourth athletic pod. I think lovely, catching up with you we'll try and do another one before the end of the season or maybe at the end of the season then we'll sort of do a recap and uh, i'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about as well but uh that's it thanks very much for, thanks for, for joining thanks having us on cheers Jim. no problem and uh we're back next week with another episode of some sort to fill the palace void so look out for us then and if you're a member of our patron patron.com forward slash fyp podcast we'll be doing some other pods as well uh, to fill the palace void until that next game against everton everton on monday monday the 5th i think isn't it now monday night which is oh god anyway thanks for listening <laughs> we'll see you again soon goodbye Podcast Network.